With the year coming to a close and top films lists are all over the place, they're coming out of your ear holes. See this somewhat as a Spotify wrapped. People love that, right? So I've roped in illustrator John Rooney to tell me his top five Nick Cage films plus his top five Nick Cages he drew for his amazing career-spanning art print. How are you, John? I'm great. How are you, Petrus? I'm very well. I'm... Uh, all, all things considered, considered the world is going to shit, right? We are, we are oh, sorry, I forgot about that, actually. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not doing very well. <laughs> uh, how has, obviously, as an illustrator, how has uh, 2020 been for you? Obviously, it's, have you been able to press on much with what you do? Um, do you know what? It's been really good, and I kind of hate to say that because <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of people who aren't doing good uh, at this present time, but... I think that lockdown has had a lot of people sitting in their apartments or their houses just sort of staring at blank walls, thinking about how mm -hmm. they like to decorate the place. Yeah. And uh, I have an Etsy shop and it seems to be kind of taken off. They got a lot this year. But I mean, it's, I, mean I'm, I, wish it, I wish the reasons were different for that. But, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not so bad. And work seems to be coming in very regularly so i mean i'm very grateful for it but at the same time i kind of wish we weren't all going through this yeah yeah yeah. well i should probably explain to the audience as well that how, how i kind of stumbled across you I, I don't i can't remember quite if somebody had sent me a link or kind of I, I often browse etsy and stuff like that kind of look at the weird and wonderful you just type in Nicolas Cage on Etsy and it will come up with a, a whole host of things you never thought you wanted. Or, yeah, your daily or check of, yeah. of Nicolas Cage paraphernalia on Etsy. Oh, it's, it's, it's kind of a depressing thing I've, I've realised. Like Since doing this podcast, I don't think there's a day that has gone by where I haven't typed the words Nicolas Cage. So it's like, oh boy. But yeah, I, I, think, it, I think it was that. And I, I kind of scrolled past, I don't know, like um, a Nicolas Cage themed pins and then a butt plug or whatever. And then I, I stumbled oh, across yeah. this, As you do. <laughs> this amazing uh, print you've done, the films of Nick Cage. Oh, thank which, you. Um, was this the, you've got a series of these, right? You've got uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sigourney Weaver, Bill Murray and cage is that right uh, yeah and nicholas cage and tom hanks was the last one i'd done there during the the first lockdown i watched all of tom hanks films well i watched the ones i hadn't seen before <laughs> um it's a really fun series they work on but it's just finding the time they watch all these movies i mean nicholas cage especially he's in a, as you know yourself he's in a lot of films well yeah it's the, the great films all of them great <laughs> the thing with 2020 i guess as well is it's it's slowed down like nick cage's output in that normally like Has it? i haven't looked... noticed just like, <laughs> every day there's a, a new film on imdb that he's either in pre or post-production well i think like considering he's only got two credits considering i think it's 2019 there are six films he was in like Jeez. so for, for nick by nicholas cage standards two is a kind of like is a slim year like um, what so when you're doing the tom hanks um uh piece was there like an element where you're like oh this could be like this could be fire night because like obviously tom hanks was 
diagnosed with COVID? Were you like, oh, yeah. oh God, like I could be doing this and this, like, like, there could be no second edition to this. Like, <laughs> there could be no more Tom Hanks films. <laughs> I actually, I think I started, I wish I had a better story, but I did start it, <laughs> I did start it after uh, he was uh, diagnosed as being okay and uh, yes. over the, the COVID, but yeah, uh, would have been easy. I mean, <laughs> I don't mean to be uh, talking like that, but the thing with Nicolas Cage is that poster needs a serious update because his output is so ferocious. Whereas if Tom Hanks had have croaked it, you know, that'd be the poster <laughs> forever. <laughs> I was thinking of doing a John, do you ever hear of the actor John Cazale? Is it John Cazale or John Cazales? Oh the yes, the the guy, the guy who's like in three or four films, but they're Easy. all like stone cold classics <laughs> yeah. as well. It's like Dog Day Afternoon, The Godfather, and like a couple of other like yeah, real uh, heavy hitters. Deer Hunter, uh, Godfather Two, and I think that's mm. about it actually. Uh, the Conversation is another one. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I mean, uh, it's easy. You never have to update it. Just six or five or six drawings. That's it. So, what was the first? Um, poster in that run what was what, what kind of gave you the idea to to pick an actor and just do an illustration for each of their films uh well uh, Nicholas Cage was the first one and I honestly don't really remember what the where the exact idea came from but I just kind of see I was moving from uh Ireland Dublin where I used to live to Berlin where I mm-hmm. live now but I had like a six months layover in my parents house and it was just all free time. So I tried to just embark on as much creative projects as I could. Uh, and that Nicolas Cage poster was one of them. I think, uh, I mean, I was always a fan of him, but he just seemed like the ideal actor, the ideal person mm-hmm. to do a poster of in that way. Because he just, his range is so varied. He just does everything. And he's, like, he can be taken seriously sometimes. But he's also very, uh, he's, uh, he's very easy to make fun of. Definitely. I've, ha- I've kind of had that journey doing this podcast. It kind of started <laughs> off as like, let's poke fun at Nicolas Cage. But it's like, as time's gone on, and I imagine, I'm not sure if you had a similar journey from like watching them all. You kind of you get like a Stockholm syndrome with it, where you're like just watching all these Nick Cage films. And like, I, I find myself sticking up for films that, don't deserve it that people are like that that's like i'm like stolen is a good film and people are like <laughs> yeah. it's not it's, it's it's not i'm like no no it's, it's really like i'm like josh lucas is that bad guy he's phenomenal and like, he plays a very like, good bad guy that guy josh, josh ex- lucas exactly um but um yeah so are you would you consider yourself a nick cage fan now uh no definitely and i had a, a very similar journey where after watching all his films i mean I, about one in ten films, like maybe of the modern era of Nick Cage, like maybe from since the year 2000 or thereabouts, you maybe get one or two in ten films that's actually quite respectable. And like, yeah, he's... you have to take your hat off to him for like taking a role like that and putting on a great performance. And the rest is it's a real filler is the rest. I was just going to say that he's like a kind of like really bad partner, isn't he? And that like... <laughs> 
like every but like every so often he'll like redeem himself with a with like a bouquet of flowers for you and it's like oh, maybe he's not so bad and then and then you kind of like and, and then it's like puts you puts you through all this torment do you know what i mean he's like gaslighting you for the rest of the time and then he goes like oh but you're beautiful i like got you some of the chocolates it's like oh cheers nick like it's a very good analogy i never thought about it that way <laughs> Just imagine Nicholas Cage is my partner right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, w- with his kind of rate of partners and stuff like that, like I would, I would not put anything past him with his kind yeah, of. Yeah, it's like was it Elvis's daughter and is it Patricia or Rosanna Arquette? I can't remember which one he was married to. Pat- Patricia Arquette. Yeah, yeah there's obviously uh, Elvis Presley's daughter. I think there's um, Alice Kim. Was yeah, another that's one. right. There's Christina Fulton. Uh, he's He's like one of the, <laughs> there's an amazing story of Nicolas Cage this year. One of his like rare uh, radio interviews with his own brother. He explained how he's got engaged to, um, he, yeah, he's got engaged again. And really? Of, Recently? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This year, because because of lockdown, he had to FedEx her the ring. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a Nicolas Cage action, all right. <laughs> So yeah, and uh, so, so I don't know. It's that he always is constantly surprising what he does. So yeah, shall we jump into your top five? Both we'll, we'll, we'll do them concurrently. So sure, we'll start with number five favorite all time Nick Cage film. Okay, number five. See, it was it was very tough to choose because there's a few Nick Cage performances that aren't necessarily in my. It wouldn't be necessarily my favorite Nicolas Cage film. So I kind of had the, like, meat in the middle with these things. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to give it to uh, a film called Joe. God damn it! I ain't done a goddamn thing! Stay in your vehicle! I ain't drunk! You better look for someone else to mess with, because I ain't done nothing! Put your hands behind you your back! You and your motherfucking friends keep messing around back. with me, I'm going to hurt you! Put your hands behind you! Come here! I guess if I drive off now, you will get shotgun out of the back of Jimmy, huh? No. You're gonna shoot me? No. You can do it. I thought it was a, it's a really good film, but it was a performance that really got me. Like, I, you know, I don't know if Joe was on the TV and The Rock was on the other channel. I may likely watch The Rock. But I don't know, actually. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's just a, like, I think The Rock maybe is the more enjoyable film, if you know what I mean. But uh, there's something about his performance in that film was really captivating or something. It was, just, it was brilliant. And it was kind of during the time where he was a bit shit, to be honest. You know, yeah, his output yeah, yeah, yeah. was kind of like a bit flimsy. And he was doing a lot of things that seemed for money. But then this kind of came in the middle of it. What's really interesting with that film is that he turned down a role in The Expendables 2. Did he? To do, to do that film. So it obviously, like, it slightly dispels that myth that Nicolas Cage is somebody who like is always chasing a paycheck mm. because Joe is a relatively like smaller budget film. Uh, it's like David Gordon Green before he's kind of this like I don't know. Let's let's let him reinvent every franchise, whether it's Halloween. And yeah, he's touted to be doing the ec- like an Exorcist later sequel. I heard whatever. about that. Mean, uh, like, yeah. Mm. So. And then, and then, yes, it's a relatively unknown cast as well. Like, it's a lot of non-actors. Like, the guy who plays the young boy's dad, the, like, alcoholic dad. Yeah, he was a real homeless guy, wasn't he? Yeah, and it's like, 
So it's it's like it's one of those films that now, if it kind of came out now, it would be it would it would kind of be in that same bracket as like uncut gems, where like it never got like the the attention like it mm-hmm. deserved, whether like awards or anything like that, or that kind of an actor going against type, because obviously Cage is known for these straight to DVD action movies, and then he pulls out a Joe, and then it's like. He's still got it. He's still, do you know what I mean? It's like, he's 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 got something special, something that we fell in love with him for. Yeah. And like now, now people, there would be think, do you know what I mean? It'd be think pieces galore going like, well, I think you'll find like loads of people go, oh, I always loved Nicolas Cage. And it's like, <laughs> he's, he's fucking showing you in something like Joe that he's great. I know, I know, you're right. I, I wholeheartedly agree. And I think he kind of repeated that process with uh, Mandy, which was like maybe two or three years ago. It was like in the same, the same, I wasn't really aware of Joe when it first came out because mm-hmm. I wasn't, I was kind of, I'd gone off Nicholas Cage a little bit because he was in so much trash. <laughs> well, that was my opinion back then. It's not now, obviously, but, um, <laughs> but when Mandy was coming out, I remember being so excited about that film. It was because I'm a big fan of that kind of dark 80s influenced, mm-hmm. like, I, I don't even know how to describe that genre. Was it uh, Panis Cosmatos uh, or something? Yeah. I don't even know how to describe him, but um, just the look of it was so great and the, the music mm-hmm. and everything it just looked so exciting. And putting Nicolas Cage yeah. in a film like that was just very <laughs> interesting to me. Yeah, that's another interesting one because he was offered the role of uh, the, the went to Linus Roach of Jeremy Yeah, Sands. that's right. He was off, offered the villainous role, but it's one of those things that I... I couldn't see anyone else playing that kind of tortured guy who can go to who can go from like being quite sweet and genial, like cracking jokes of his 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 wife has this this pain. I think like Nick, that's the thing is what's great and like what a lot of like modern directors tend to get, and it tends to be like a Panos Cosmos or like a a Richard Stanley with Color Out of Space, yeah. where they're like. They clearly were fans of like older Nick Cage films. Maybe if it's like the kind of more obscure, like Vampire's Kiss mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And they can sit, they like almost cast him on that thing of like, because of who he is as well, his public perception. And people are like, and he's got, I don't know, he has this pain behind his eyes. And I imagine like what happened financially for him as well. It's, it's got to be A, embarrassing and like be quite like, and um, take an emotional toll on you. And it's like when, especially like when uh, 2009 yeah. around then, like he, he, he could have just kept soaring or at least like staying on that level of like what he was doing, but then like had to almost be forced into taking these like roles where he's, I don't know, like, yeah, as I said, bargain, <laughs> bargain bin, <laughs> as the two for seven pound. Like, type movie. That's pretty cheap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know it's but i mean i'm kind of glad he done that because it gives us so much joy mm-hmm. in the end even those bad films it's what? it shapes the whole character the whole ethos of nicholas cage mm-hmm. yeah. We, yeah everyone loves an underdog story right so. yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go on to your uh fifth um favorite of like yeah cages to draw like, who, like, wh- wh- which ones stand out to you? What was number five? Um, well, number five, I'd say, is Wild at Heart. Look like a clown in that stupid jacket. This is a snakeskin jacket. 
And for me, it's a symbol of my individuality and my belief in personal freedom. Asshole. Come here. I'm sorry to do this to you here in front of a crowd and all, but I want you to get up and apologize to my girl. Because it was, mm-hmm. it was the first one I drew. Uh-huh. So I'll give it. I, I remember just, I remember just thinking, like, can I actually do this property? I mean, and just kind of work out how to draw Nicholas Cage and same with the other. The other actors I've done, like Bill Murray and Sigourney Weaver and Arnie and Tom Hanks, it's trying to get their face, like capture their, mm-hmm. uh, I might sound like a pretentious, pretentious artist talking about this, but just trying to, like, you know, <laughs> capture their expression. And I'm like, with Nicolas Cage, just trying to get that, like, you have to make it funny, but also, you know, a little bit serious at the same time. So it's a... Trying to capture the gormless look he has on his face sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but I done the the Wild at Heart one. Am I getting that the name right? It's the David Lynch movie, Wild at Heart. Yeah, Wild at Heart, yeah. Um and I drew it and I I remember looking at it and thinking, this is yeah, I think I got this. And that jacket he's wearing, the snakeskin jacket was so enjoyable to draw. Jeez. Yeah, only he been. recently mentioned that uh, he gave that jacket after the shoot to Laura Dern. I heard that she, too, actually, yeah. yeah, yeah I, she I has that. Typing in Nicolas Cage every week. Not every day like you, but... Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, like, I don't know, I think fashion choices, well, that's a whole different podcast. Well, Jesus, we could the do a clo- separate podcast and that. Yeah, the, the clothes what, like, I often look at, like replicas of the Rick Santoro suit. I'm like, that's like from Snake Eyes. I'm like, oh boy, like I, <laughs> I, I probably couldn't get away with a um the snakeskin jacket, but I probably I probably could get away with that kind of like uh I don't know what is it like it's a, like a, a brown, brown suit, sh- isn't it? A brown Br- suit with like a yellow big collared shirt maybe or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'm, I'm quite like I'm not a fat guy, but I'm not, I'm not exactly slim. So I'd probably look like a Cuban like drug lord from the <laughs> '80s or something like that, like an extra in Scarface. But like, I, I could pull that off a lot better than a snakeskin jacket. Let's just say that. Um, you never know. <laughs> let's move on to number four of your favorite Nick Cage film. Sure, I'm going to say for this one. Oh, it's a tough one. Hold on, I've got to, I've got to have a wee think about these two. I'm going to say adaptation. Fat, bald, Kaufman paces furiously in his bedroom. He speaks into his handheld tape recorder and he says, Charlie Kaufman, fat, bald, repulsive, old, sits at a Hollywood restaurant with Valerie Thomas. Kaufman, repugnant, ridiculous, jerks off to the book jacket photo of Susan Orman. Clark, what do you want? I finished my script. I'm done. I'm go- I'm going by kind of performance here, a little yep. a little bit like obviously it's a great film as well, but it has the two the the twin brothers and it's kind of chalk and cheese. Um, well, yeah, yes, yeah, it's, it's double cage for your money, right? Yeah, and I didn't pay any money to see that. I taped I taped <laughs> it off the TV back in VHSs were the thing. Perfect. I remember right, you know, um, do you know when you tape films off the the TV, you write the label. Mm-hmm. You have the little sticker to write the label. I remember it was ad- adaption, 
instead of adaptation <laughs> for years i had that written on it <laughs> and a, a very smart ass friend pointed it out to me and said they're two different words but subsequently I, i've learned that it's a it's a perfectly uh, a perfectly viable substitute but anyway i digress but, but it's a it's a perfect kind of uh yeah you well you you did your own adaptation on the word adaptation so like exactly it's, it's perfect uh what is it about that film that you enjoy like it's um i for, i know for some people i've spoke to it's quite a like, they find it quite a hard one to watch especially if you're a creative how do you how do you, yeah how do you find that film as creative because obviously it, it delves into that thing of like whether it's writer's block or uh, mm. there must be artist block or something like that like do you does that does that ring like true to you in any way that film um i don't so much get the artist block i i too i do get the kind of occasionally i will get a feeling of like why am i doing this like am mm-hmm. i contributing towards society in any real way and should i be like working in something more something that helps people in a more meaningful way instead like i have a friend who's also an illustrator who works in in care and mm-hmm. uh i don't know i remember when he got that job i kind of felt like should i be doing something like that instead but at the same time you know when you sell when you sell prints to people through Etsy and I always would follow up with a message asking if they've got it, like if they got the mm-hmm. print safely and like if they're happy with it and you get some very nice messages back and it's not quite the same as being a doctor or, a, <laughs> you know, environmental lawyer or something, but like the messages you get back sometimes are kind of heartwarming. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure what this has to do with adaptations slash adaption, but um, I don't know. It's like I never, I suppose when I first seen that film, I wasn't really a proper illustrator. I was just like doing mm-hmm. art at GCSE level or something. But um, I think it was it was more the kind of relationship between those two twins mm-hmm. and how he managed the, it was him playing on himself. Yeah. And how he managed to sort of create that emotional atmosphere or something that was great. And like, I mean, I was—I think I was crying at the end of that film. When it's uh, actually, I shouldn't spoiler. I was put any spoilers out there for people who haven't seen it, but you know the ending. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very sad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What well, um—that's a really interesting era in like Nick Cage's career as well, because it's kind of like he's just come off the back of like that late nineties like mm. testosterone trilogy like big run and kind of like <laughs> are, you, are you talking about con air and face off the rock yeah 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 yeah. yeah. that is that yeah yeah that, like they need to release that as like a the testosterone exactly i have that written trilogy box set <laughs> i've written down <laughs> in my notes i called it something else so. yeah so like he kind of like did a lot of these films with in like a lot of interested directors whether it's uh bringing out the dead with martin scorsese yeah. and he did a lot of like in betweeny films for people, so uh, Matchstick Men, like mm-hmm. Ridley Scott, obviously, like used to doing like Gladiator. Is there massive directors, like yeah, yeah, yeah. But it seems to be like, as I said, it's their like not their tentpole movie. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, like I'm, I'm not sure if that was their intention, but it's like for me, like bringing out the dead. It's like that should be in the same conversation when people like when people talk about Scorsese films, it kind of seems to be like 
the last on the list that people tend to talk about. It's like yeah, they they they, they relegate that like it's New York, New York, like like fucking when Scorsese was like cocained up to the eyeballs, <laughs> like just making whatever he wants, and then it's like yeah, we'll we'll stick bring out the dead in there because it is it's pretty fucking bleak as yeah. well. Like, <laughs> and it's um, the kind of director someone would like. Most actors would dream they work with someone like Scorsese, and it's just it's barely a. a a blip on Nicolas Cage's career. It's just a little mm-hmm. movie he made. Probably no one's, most people haven't heard of it. Like I kind of yeah. almost forgot about it uh, until I was looking through the IMDb for this. And I remembered in the drawing, I drew him with like really big sort of dark eyes because he hadn't yeah. slept and stuff like that. So onto drawing, what is your number four on your list of like most enjoyable ones to draw? I would say Ghost Rider 2. Uh, Kerrigan must have told me about that thing. I killed his men last night, huh? Yeah? That thing is inside of me. See, you're a bad man. And this thing, the writer, he feeds on Batman and he's hungry. He's hungrier than he's been years, and that's why I'm shaking. Because right now, the only thing standing between you and the writer is me. And he's just... He's, he's scraping at the door. Scraping at the door. <laughs> I can't remember that the what the official title is. It's Ghost Rider, like Spirit of Vengeance, maybe. Uh, I'm not sure, but um, I remember watching that film, and I, I think it was a little bit better in the first one, as far as I can remember. It was a bit more enjoyable, or something. And there's more cageisms in it, mm-hmm. but there was just so much green screen. Yes. In the drawing, I put this like green screen and behind the Ghost Rider image. Have you ever seen like there's footage online of Page performing as the Ghost Rider pre CGI? So no. it's like him, him with like this painted face. Like he went kind of like he yeah he did this like Kabuki style like makeup on himself. Right. So like he could when he's like there screaming as the ghost rider in someone's face, he looked fucking terrifying. And it's like <laughs> you know you know you get these things online where people are like release the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League or whatever. Yeah. I'm like release the, release the pre-CGI cut of Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance because like Cage looks fucking mental. Oh my god. So is there actually footage of this? Can, yeah, 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 yeah. Right, there's uh, like there's straight like, after this, I'm typing that in. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, it's like a YouTube clip. I think it's on the DVD or Blu-ray or whatever. There's like right. a, a, a behind-the-scenes feature as well. And um, I spoke to one of the directors of uh, Ghost Rider: Spirit of Vengeance, Brian Taylor. Right, and he said like like you saying like it's loads of CGI and stuff like that. That film, like I think, was very hamstrung in like the script that was originally written for it and the kind of like uh sony at the time were like losing the rights to yeah. ghost rider so that film was like we've got 18 months write something make a film like do it now so like i think that's why that film is like it is but it doesn't have the glaring error that the first one does of being like there's a boy and a girl who are the same age, but when mm-hmm. they grow up, the boy is Nicolas Cage and the girl is Eva, uh, is, uh, Eva Mendes. And it's like, 
No, 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 no. We can see that there's a 15-year age gap between those two. But they they yeah. gave him a wig to cover up his receding hairline, so it was all good. <laughs> <laughs> that was the last film where he was absolutely ripped in as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, the muscles were just bulging, like about to burst out of his abdomen. It was crazy. <laughs> so, number three in favourite films. Favourite films... Uh, okay, it's one we already mentioned. I'm going to say um, Matchstick Men, the Ridley Scott yeah. film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you get obviously Cage, and you get uh, Sam Rockwell. Another like another one of my favourite actors, actually. Really, really interesting. There's um, there's a theory of Sam Rockwell, and once you hear it, you can't kind of can't help but notice it once you watch his films. He always dances in the films he's in. I've he does heard like a that. Little, yeah. He does a happy dance. <laughs> All right. Has he done it in Galaxy Quest? He must do that. That's that, that's quite that's quite goofy, right? That's there's got to be some. Da- he's got to dance in that. I think he even does it in um, the, what's the Martin McDonough film he's in? Uh, Free Billboards. Yeah. So he's like this uh, abhorrent racist, but still there's a moment of like for him to go, hey, let's have a bit of levity, and I'll do a bit of a bit of a dance for you. <laughs> Does he do a dance in Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles? He's in that, you know. You ever yeah, the, that is one of that that that's something I love is seeing old films and obviously people who have like gone on to be massive yeah. and like like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is like was massive for me as a kid. And I think it's like a couple of years ago I bought the uh, the trilogy box set on DVD <laughs> and then watched the first one. Then when Sam Rockwell comes up, it's like. What the fuck? He's one I of the know. Foot Clan as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apparently, yeah, Brad Pitt was one of those lads no, wearing a mask. Wow. <laughs> I think it's uh, it's kind of like a movie myth. It might may not be true, but I heard it somewhere. It might be in the IMDb trivia actually. Like Brad mm. Pitt is one of those lads, but I think he was bagging off even in nineteen ninety when that film came out. Yeah, it must have been. So, um, what like what is it about Matchstick Men that makes it to your number three favorite Nick Cage films? Uh, I'm going to say uh, number three in my favorite performances because I don't like the film. is a, It's a great film, don't get me wrong. But it, like, if Matchstick Man was on and Con Air was on, I would probably watch Con Air. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if they were on at the same time on the TV. But uh, I don't know. I just thought that performance was really great. It was really funny. But at the same time, it was respectful toward. He has like a weird OCD in it or something like that, or like he had all these weird nervous ticks. And it was just like I don't know. It kept yeah. building up and building up, and I remember he done one little nervous tick that maybe bust out laughing, and it was just, <laughs> it was just done so well. Well, that's the thing. That film gets like roped in with when you see these like clip reels of him, like Nicholas Cage loses yeah. his shit. I think it's the, it's, it's the that, big that, one. That, that clip needs to. to be seriously updated. Like, <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, serious yeah, holes it, in that. But like matchstick men gets dragged into that. And I think like somewhat unfairly a lot of the time, because it's like, he's actually portraying like a, an illness yeah. really well, as opposed to like, okay. this isn't like cage wigging out. This isn't like a, a 10 minute like drum solo yeah. like like performance this is actually like fairly like a, a well yeah a, a respectful performance for for ocd sufferers yeah. and like i've had people reach out to me online and be like i like 
I, I take umbrage with that kind of being like seen as like a a freak out catering. Mm. So as a OCD sufferer, it's like people are like, no, that is that is what it's like, and it's like, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, can I kind of understand. I don't mean to say I was busting out laughing at. No, 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 that, no, 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 It was no, just no. the performance is so accusing. great. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, yeah. I'm just uh, I'm trying to go on back on myself. You can edit that last part out if out if you want but no I mean, no no the, the next point i was going to make is there is obviously levels of humor to it because i think yeah like, it was really it was dealt with in a really kind of a sensitive but like a humorous as well you can't help but laugh if it is nicholas cage because you associate well, the, the the madness of his career with everything he's in but at the same time yeah he done it so well but there's like a delivery like of one of the lines in that film where he says like man but he says it with like almost like a jamaican lilt and it's like that is funny <laughs> Bullshit, man. and it's like even if like if somebody ha- like somebody has tourettes it's obviously like it's it's a horrible affliction for anyone to have but if somebody's like shouts out like fucked it wanker you are going to find that funny <laughs> so like cage kind of like shouting like i'll drag you out into the street until you piss blood it's like that <laughs> that is funny like that, I'm, not, I'm not gonna get that wrong but like it's not like I thought, yeah as i said it's not wigging out performance like that kind of yeah a lot of people gravitate to him for uh, let's move on to number three of your favorite ones to draw okay uh number three of my favorite ones to draw was the civil war in nicholas cage now i know this isn't a film but i'm sure you're well aware of that weird photo <laughs> that came out and yeah. <laughs> of like uh, there was a civil war era nick uh, some guy who looked almost exactly like nicholas cage only a little bit i don't know weirder looking weirder looking than nicholas cage and everybody thought he was a vampire, etc. But I thought I'd sneak that into the poster as a little Easter egg. I know it's not a film, so I'm sorry, but no, uh, no that's perfect. No, no, there's, there's there's that, and there's I love the um, the Kickass Two reference on the poster as well. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I almost had that on my list as well, but I thought it'd be too much to explain. It's because <laughs> in Kickass yeah. Two, there's a little, just a little frame picture of him in the background saying "Dad" or something. I thought that'd yeah, be funny yeah. to include. That, that whole like phenomenon of like people kind of finding people from the past to look exactly like celebrities. I think Keanu Reeves is another one. Oh, he's and a new like, one. I know. You haven't heard of that one yet. Yeah, he, he. I think there's somebody. Somebody saw a photo. There's like a, an old photo from way back when that looks exactly like Keanu Reeves. Mm-hmm. And then, like, obviously, he he just looks like he hasn't aged either. Do you know what I mean? It's like exactly. Yeah. Keanu, Keanu Reeves, like, it's like Bill and Ted's like excellent adventure. Bill and Ted face the music. Have you seen that yet? I have. I have seen that film. Yeah. Did it's, you like uh, it? It destroyed me because it's all about like kind of uh, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to, to digress there, but it absolutely destroyed me because it's kind of about uh, for me. I read it as like. Um, like being a slack like it's, it's kind of all about like being a slacker and not realizing your like potential or like figuring out what you need to do and just waiting for like the the the, the great thing to happen mm-hmm. so like as somebody who's kind of like spent a lot of his life going like yeah I, I will do something great eventually and then like as you get older you start to realize like no it's probably time to get like a 
like punch in at 9am get that desk <laughs> job and punch out at 5pm it's kind of a little bit soul crushing oh well that's that's sad to hear <laughs> so, no, I, I didn't see it that way at all but i mean jesus maybe i'll rewatch it <laughs> well like yeah uh, i watched it at, like the 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 height of the pandemic is off. I just yeah. think emotions were brought to the forefront, weren't they? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's head on. Let's let's really breeze past my kind of like mini meltdown there, guys, and move on to your <laughs> number. I'd like two. to talk more about your meltdown. I mean, if you want to, you know, off the record afterwards, if you want to have a wee chat, I'm available. Perfect, <laughs> perfect. Uh, <laughs> let's go to number two of your favourite Nick Cage performances. I would say number two would be leaving Las Vegas. Are you desirable? Are you irresistible? Maybe if you drank bourbon with me, it would help. Maybe if you kissed me and I could taste the sting in your mouth, it would help. If you drank bourbon with me naked, if you smelled of bourbon as you fucked me, it would help. It would increase my esteem for you. If you poured bourbon onto your naked body and said to me, drink this if you spread your legs and you had bourbon dripping from your breasts and your pussy and said drink here then i could fall in love with you because then i would have a purpose to clean you up and that that would prove that i'm worth something i don't know number two might be controversial it's, it may it should be number one maybe i don't know but no, no, you can have like can have it as number two. Like uh, it's, it's okay. I think it's, it's easy to do that thing, like to give it number one just because it's the one he's won an Oscar for. But like, yeah, that that film loses points because it, it it's in that same bracket as like uh, Requiem for a Dream, where it's like it's it's a really good film. It's good to watch, mm. but it's like you're not going to stick it on all the time, are you? It's like it's, oh, once every ten years. <laughs> I'd say exactly. well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's it's grim they watch, but uh, you know the first time I watched it, I didn't like it at all, and I thought it was just it was during that era where I didn't really like Nicolas Cage that much because I kept seeing him in too much films where he was mm-hmm. over, it's he was given too much over the top performances, and nearly everything I seen it was like when mm. the whole Nicolas Cage going crazy thing started coming into vogue. And I'd first seen that film then, and I just thought this is just another one of these performances. But then I watched it like much later. I watched it actually when I was doing the poster, I rewatched it, and I realized it was really, really good. I'm not shit. <laughs> well, I think it's that thing that we've we've been able to re- like like readily research stuff as well. When you kind of like know the backstory of that film and the the guy it's based on and stuff like yeah. that. I think it kind of like gives the film a lot more like reverence, doesn't it? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? If it's like when you realize that it is based on a true guy who unfortunately eventually did fulfill his plan That's to right, drink yeah. himself to death. It's like, it's got a real like emotional like punch to it. And like, I don't know. And like, yeah, again, like Cage would have been late, 20s when he did that as well and mm-hmm. i know like some people be like oh, like that's, that's not that young but like to to pull out a performance like that do you know what I mean to to kind of delve that deep into into whatever whatever place you need to go to 
to get that performance. It's, yeah, like it's, it's fantastic. I mean, even like thinking of like he won the Oscar for that. Was it nineteen ninety five? I mean, in late 20s, that that doesn't seem that seems young to me. Mm-hmm. But I mean, they have accomplished something like that that early in mm-hmm. life. That's that's very yeah. impressive. I've always had this thing hanging over me with this podcast because my kind of like initial uh, premise on this was to watch the films with like little to no knowledge yeah and then kind of give my like first reaction and all i knew about i knew nothing about the the backstory of leaving las vegas i just knew it had a lot of booze in it (laughs) so like i did like i was like you know what i'm gonna do is like i kind of came up with this premise that'd be funny i was like i'll drink every time he drinks oh oh my god are you serious (laughs) Well, not, not 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 like drink for drink, but at least like have like yeah, so he sinks a, a bottle of vodka in that film, doesn't he? <laughs> but like, I'll, I'll have like a considerable like do you know I mean? I'll have like two fingers. Oh, okay, of, yeah. Jeez, of, thank of, God. Of, like a dr- <laughs> of of a drink every time mm. like he, like booze touches his lips, and then record an episode, and I'm like, like I had to kind of like stop midway through the film and like recorded a. Uh, like a trigger warning basically being like this could possibly be one of the most insensitive <laughs> podcasts ever recorded because like i have i I've, i'm i'm quickly realizing the gravity of this film and like the kind of like uh oh the serious nature and uh yeah so that's one I, of your podcasts seriously you you drank every time nicholas cage drank in the film and you recorded it i'm gonna have to go back yeah. and listen to this so yeah so it's just a guy like like pick like pickled like after so after drinking like essentially a bottle of rum mm. uh then trying to talk about leaving las vegas and just feeling like really warm and i like i kept having to like stop recording to go have cigarette breaks and kind of get some fresh air that's impressive but it's, i think it's a film i'll like have to revisit on the podcast and kind of do it the like, like talk about we, it with the reverence it deserves we can do it together we can, we can do the drinking game together i'm up I'm for it yeah I, I yeah i don't know if like i don't know if that is a drink like I don't know. I'll, I'll, I should probably Google if that is a drinking game. If not, I'll I'll I'll, I'll trademark it right now. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'd be the first. Amazing. So let's go on to number two of your favourite to draw. Number two of my favourite to draw would be um, Face Off. But it's kind of funny because it actually didn't draw Nicholas Cage. I drew John Travolta. There's a, there's a comedian, um, Will Stone, who did mm-hmm. an amazing tweet during lockdown. Uh, he just posted a photo of John Travolta walking around and said, uh, "It's good to see Nicholas Cage uh, going about with his mask on." Like, oh, <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Um, I thought that'd be a nice little inside joke, just to put you on. It was very hard to capture. Like John Travolta was a lot harder to draw. I must admit, because yeah, he, he's, he's got, he hasn't got he's that got unique, a whole... unique face as Nicolas Cage does. You know, 
I'm not saying there's anything wrong with John Travolta's face. It's pretty unique, but not as unique as Nick's. Well, they're, 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 I think that's a perfect joke to make. There's um, a artist I know, uh, Brianna Ashby, who does mm-hmm. these kind of like watercolors, and she did like she normally does like a, a, an actor, but we'll just like pick nine of their films. hasn't hasn't got the kind of the stones to go as like full bore as you to do with like a, a career spanning uh like work but like she yeah she did the same thing of like here's a nicholas cage one and then there's just like this like watercolor of uh john travolta <laughs> and i think like that joke that joke for me will never will will, will never not get funny like it's it, i think it's great good <laughs> i'm glad to hear it <laughs> i thought i was the first person to come up with it but obviously not <laughs> i don't know i don't know when she did it i just uh i i, I can't re- i can't remember like I, I picked it up on twitter so like i'm not sure what it was and there's a fantastic like you got the dove in as well right for the for the face-off one. Oh, they got i've got a couple of doves uh, they, yes yeah, yeah, yeah. one dove there's about 70 doves in that movie they should i don't know why they're not in the cast at the end of the movie <laughs> 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 amazing and let's go on to your number one well i'm gonna i'm gonna subvert this and go number one illustration first okay. and then we'll go to the big daddy of your number one. Oh god i'm afraid i'm it's gonna be an anticlimax well the number one is uh mandy knock knock you scared the hell out of me you're gonna get your because it's kind of it became the reason why i done the poster obviously the reason was just to have about a crack and yeah do the nicholas cage sorry the crack in ireland means fun i know i, I know what it means <laughs> <laughs> to your international listeners i should explain that but um so it was just to have about a fun and so like you know, see if it will work or not, which which it certainly has, to be honest. I think that poster paid maybe two months rent last oh, year. Perfect. Not that I want to <laughs> I want to sort of sum it up in any financial way, but it certainly did. But um I remember just like hearing about that film Mandy when I was doing the poster and just as I mentioned earlier, it just became it became so exciting. Just like, because I'd seen that guy's film, Panas Kamada's his first film. I can't remember what it was called. Beyond the Black it, Rainbow. Beyond the Black Rainbow, yeah. Uh, it wasn't great, but it, just visually it was amazing. And I thought if he had an actor like Nicolas Cage on board, it might actually be really interesting. And I seen the trailer and the music was by that guy who died recently. Yeah, Johan, uh, Johannes. Yeah, Johansson, yeah. And it just looks so great. So the score is like I listen to the score quite frequently. Me too. And yeah, yeah, and it's like so you've got Johan Johansson, but you also have uh, Stephen O'Malley from the band Sunno, like the mm-hmm. kind of like doom uh, metal, like kind of like wig out band. Like play plays a lot of guitar on that, and it's just like. So I, I kind of had like a, a difficult first time with that film in like, I think I expected it to be a, a bit more 
uh, grindhouse than yeah. art house than it was. But then, like, kind of, I I very much enjoyed it, but like, I was kind of like, oh, it, I felt a bit disappointed because it wasn't what I expected. But like, on second viewing, I think if you kind of watch that film and let it like wash over you, yeah, and just kind of like, I don't know, sound like a pretentious wanker here, but like, no, I don't think so. Just, just feel like, like go with the feelings of it and kind of like, um, I don't know, like feel the mood of it. It, it really fucking like, it's like someone sitting on your chest, like really yeah. hard. And it's like, it's, it's really impactful. And like, I think it's quite comparable to like, I know I've seen that film, it deals with like, uh, grief. And like Panos Cosmotos has said, like, his two films are, are both about grief. So the first one is kind of like the bottling up of grief and like suppressing it. Whereas Mandy is the explosion of grief. Yeah, that's a real explosion. Jesus. And and it's like that thing of, I think if you kind of, I think it's with films anyway, if you bring yourself to a film and like kind of find something in it, even if it's like, not grief per se, if, even if it's like you look at it like the loss of a relationship or something like that, and you kind mm. of like look at a, look, look at that film through that prism and that kind of like feeling or whatever, or, or you can't like, or grief itself. And it's like when you kind of like bring yourself to that film, it fucking has like an emotional punch as well as this yeah. kind of like really great like visceral violence and action to it that's yeah it's uh i think it's a beautiful piece of work you, you described it very well <laughs> that's much better so than i could you crapped on a lot about mandy there uh, john uh, like yeah how does it like yeah what is it about that film that like kind of i don't know you, you like particularly like enjoy about it <sighs> it's difficult to answer really because it's all <laughs> it's all kind of like subliminal or something i don't know it was it was the look of it, and I, I'm not such a fan of like rebooting and bringing back things that much. I mean, I enjoy things like Stranger Stranger Things, but at the same time, don't rub the arse out of it. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, the third series, okay, you know, it's maybe just ended there, but I kind of like bringing back the those type of like uh, that type of atmosphere. Mm-hmm. From those kind of films, well, it'd be like John Carpenter, Michael Mann. Like they had, they all had a certain feeling or something. I, I it's hard to describe in words what it was, but it was maybe it was the soundtrack as well and the lighting. They all contributed towards this kind of I don't know a feeling I had when I watched those films, and some of them weren't necessarily good. I mean, <laughs> like some. Like, especially some of those Michael Mann films. I mean, Thief, I, I remember it not being that great. And The Keep, have you ever no, seen that No, but film? that's like, considering we're talking around Christmas, there's like a little fun fact I, I, I like to, every time, and I, I weirdly know this about The Keep, is the like Tangerine Dream score during the closing credits is a, a cover of Walking in the Air. Oh my god! <laughs> we can listen to that straight away. Yeah, so it's like this kind of like yeah. Imagine just for those of you at home, close your eyes and think Tangerine Dream <laughs> doing Walking in the Air, 
and it is as good as you are imagining it. I got it. Let's love immediately. <laughs> Drive maybe with Ryan Gosling, mm-hmm. and I mean it's it's a decent enough film, and I, I kind of brought that that sentimentality back a little bit, but but I didn't think it done it in a really great way. But I think something like Mandy kind of is bringing bringing it back in a nice way, but it not not in a way where it's a hundred percent saying this is from the eighties, yeah, blah yeah. blah blah, you know. Well, it, it's, it's almost like understanding, like, you've, like, Panos Cosmos very much understands that cinema, and it's not like yeah. I'm trying to replicate it. It's like, and I think he said in interviews that he's tried to create a film of, like, what <laughs> what would the lives be like of, like, when you see these metal bands and they have that kind of, like, artwork on the side of their trucks. It's like, <laughs> yeah what would a story be about like one of the crew for those bands and that's kind of how he sees red is like he's in this kind of periphery of like this this metal world and he's got this like cool younger girlfriend or wife like who's really into metal and like these these fantasy novels and stuff like that and i think the film the film really throws it out as well to be like I understand that like those films are what they are. I'm not trying to replicate that. And then at the end goes like, look, this isn't even on earth. So like, this is like, yeah, we've had the title card to say like 1984, but it's like Mm. 90, it could be 1984 on the planet that I've set this on. Yeah. Like a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Exactly. Um, so let's move on to your favorite Nick Cage performance, number one in your Nick Cage list. Oh, I, <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> I have a feeling like this is not, it's an anticlimax, but I think I had to kind of take a mix between performance and film. Like, as in, this is one of my favorite Nicolas Cage films plus performances. But I think it's not just him, it's also his. The, the cast of the whole film uh, it's uh, Raising Arizona oh he's beautiful yeah he's awful damn good I think I got the best one I bet they were all beautiful all babies are beautiful this one's awful damn good though don't you cuss around him he's fine he is I think it's Nathan Jr. We are doing the right thing, aren't we, Hi? I mean, they had more than they could handle. Well, now, honey, we've been over this and over this, and there's what's right, and there's what's right, and never the twain shall meet. But don't you think his mama will be upset, I mean, overly? Well, of course she'll be upset, sugar, but she'll get over it. She's got four little babies, almost as good as this one. Well, it's not necessarily a film you would immediately think that's a Nick Cage film. It's You would obviously think that's a Coen Brothers film. But there's just something about it. It has the cageness before it was really Nicolas Cage. 
but also has Holly Hunter and John Goodman and it was a William Forsyth mm-hmm. is his brother in that and the rat everybody else this is so good yeah, just has a great look brilliant it's proto cage isn't it I think like would kind of be that <laughs> I think I, th- I think the kind of thing that solidified him as this like out there actor and there's like a nice little like triumphant in the 80s it's i think it's that like um yeah it's it's raising arizona where it showed like he could play funny like really well yeah of course yeah he, he's got this like tex avery like cartoon like manicness to him he can play the romantic lead with like this brooding intensity in moonstruck yeah. He can fucking like fling shit at the wall and go fucking crazy with Vampire's Kiss, which like would have been like, <laughs> I think like if you kind of look at production dates, were made within like an eighteen month period, and it's like again, like Raising Arizona and Vampire's Kiss and Moonstruck, yeah, and oh, like, Moonstruck, sorry, Jesus, yeah, all okay. three of them, all three of them. So oh my like, God. <laughs> and, that's hey, crazy. And like, I don't know, like you look at like uh, footage. Like, of Nick Cage at that time. There's a brilliant, like, Sean Connery accepting the Oscar for, uh, I think it's like when he won for The Untouchables. But, like, yeah. the, the the people, like, introducing him is Cher and Nicolas Cage. <laughs> and, like, Nick Cage just seems like such a fucking laugh in that, like, clip. Because, like, he's kind of, like, shooting off at the mouth and stuff like that. And Cher mm. says to him, like, Hey, uh, have I got have I got to hit you, Nicky, and stuff like that? And there's like, but yeah, like raising Arizona, man. It's just, it's fantastic. It's like, and I think a lot, a lot of people do just put it in the bracket of just being a Coen Brothers film. But I think it's yeah. equal parts Coen Brothers and Cage. I don't think we'd have the Cage we got in the '90s if he didn't have that experience on that film yeah exactly and working with directors of oh, a director i suppose both the coen brothers kind of co-direct but the, that caliber mm-hmm. as well it gets i mean as early and off in his career and kind of like really starting them off and he's working with some of the best directors in the world at that stage well, yeah he, he's got he's going to have worked with one of the best directors in the world because he's his uncle uh, uh in in the 80s i, I actually <laughs> forgot about that <laughs> Well, he actually he did work with his brother. Didn't his brother direct that? Um, Deadfall. What a Deadfall, Jesus! <laughs> so, so I'll be. I'll, was, I'll give you a. That pe- could be actually my number one. Uh, can I change my mind at this stage? <laughs> no. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, of course, you can change it to Deadfall. I think Eddie King is one of like the the craziest uh, cinematic characters of all time, and. Um, I just yeah, they're not one of I'd say the Me. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so crazy in fact that like uh, you, yeah you've obviously seen that film and know how his character ends up in it like it's uh, the fact that he then revived that yeah character. for a f- that weird <laughs> Arsenal film or something I think it was called yeah. Arsenal maybe in America Southern. But- Southern Fury in the UK. Like. Yeah, because they don't want to call the, thing, the football team, uh, obviously. But neither neither of those titles make make sense. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like it's not southern enough to be Southern Fury. Yeah. And there's there's not enough weapons in it to be called Arsenal. Like it's a <laughs> it's a it's a load of fucking bullshit. Um yeah, and a a peek behind the curtain uh for, for, 
for people is uh, once I've completed watching all the Nicholas, once I'm up to date with Nick Cage films, I will be looking at the wider Coppola family to kind of like see, like look at their films as well. Mm. So I can kind of get dig a little bit deeper because there's that famous saying, right? It's like, how, how do you get to like, how do you get to know someone better? Meet their family. Right. So how am I going to get to know Cage better? Let's watch every Francis Ford Coppola <laughs> film. <laughs> can I, I, can I ask you, like, what's your like favorite Nicolas Cage movie? Uh, have maybe Mar- you could do top three or five if you want. I mean, um, so my favorite, like my top five. Um, see, I didn't, I didn't even plan this, but right. I, 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 like, yeah. I'm going to. It's no twenty twenty is ending. I've never done this. Okay. Like every episode on this podcast, I ask people what was their first, like. And which is their favourite Nick Cage right. film? And like there, they're going, oh, it's it's really fucking hard. And I'm kind of there on my tower, going like, <laughs> I know it's really hard. I'm not asking it. Like, um, so it you can often, edit this afterwards, it, and you can just like record your own vocal, putting on your uh, like really thought about top five Nicholas Cage films. But no, 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 no. Go I, ahead. I will give. I, I will. I will give my favourite. I'll just give my number one. My number one Nick Cage film, just because it doesn't get shouted about enough, and there's something about it. When I first watched it, I was like, I think it was the first film I watched whilst doing this podcast that made me think, mm-hmm. like, I really, really like like this guy. It is Red Rock West. No, thanks. Scotch ain't good enough? I knew a guy like he once. Thought he was better than everybody else. That's it, ain't it, Mike? Hmm? You think you're better than me, don't you? Why don't you just blow me? Oh, oh, you think you are real hot shit, don't you, Mike? Huh? Hey. <laughs> hey, cowboy. Who's got the gun? Cowboy? Ha! Yeah, that was that was one of the first ones I ever seen. Like after the what do you call earlier on the <laughs> testosterone fuel trilogy? <laughs> yeah. I remember that was like obviously they. Well, I'm not saying obviously, but. From my point of view, obviously, they were my first bunch of Nicolas Cage films I've seen. And then that one I seen afterwards, and I thought that was, this is actually kind of different. And it's like really cool or yeah, something. Yeah, for me, it's got that thing that it's got um, David Lynch like alumni in it. So it's got Laura Flynn Boyle. Yeah. It's got it does. She's, a, she's kind of like a love interest. Yeah, and, and yeah, you've got Dennis right. Hopper as the villain. It's got this like neo-noir Western aesthetic to it. And it's like, there's just something about it. And it's like, it's one of those films, I think like, I went into it knowing nothing about it and just came mm. away going like, I really, really like, I, I, I love, like, I love what this guy's doing. And like, it's that thing as well. I think it's one of my favourites as well because I like the idea of like liking films that not many people know about as well. Not to be like yeah. a pretentious wanker, but it's like that <laughs> thing of like, 
it's it's polite. I I like the idea of being able to share that with people to be like, check this one out, as opposed to being like, yeah, I don't know, like, yeah, like he's great in face off. Do you know what I mean? Like that first, especially that first fifteen minutes when he's cast a Troy, it's great. Do you prefer him as Caster Troy or as uh, Sean Archer? I think as Caster Troy, just because of course, of it, course. it feels like he had that opportunity to go, so I'm playing majority of this film as the good guy. I'm just yeah. really going to throw everything at it for the villain. So it's like, it's, it's, it's him having fun. do you think he'd, he'd done that, uh, if it was shot chronologically, do you think he'd done that to give John Travolta the biggest challenge of his career? That, in order to imitate that that is that is um, I'd, I'd imagine so i'd imagine like cage does seem like the type of person to like push things there's great um behind the scenes footage from uh face off where like between cuts and stuff like that and like uh takes that didn't make the film where like cage has got like a real intensity to him and john travolta loving every second of it i think like <laughs> i don't know like it's a weird stage for travolta as well right he was like kind of going into like his third revival like well, yeah second... he's got he's he's zigzagged so much up and down hasn't he like <laughs> just like in and out of like these weird career like revivals and whatnot yeah yeah the, the peaks and troughs of travolta yeah. are very very disparate aren't they so all of a sudden, he's he's up on a high with Pulp Fiction, then he's down, then he's up with Face Off, and then like like all the kind of <laughs> like I'm struggling for examples for nowadays. But uh... well, yeah, I think he's <laughs> hit, he's hit the kind of uh, the same fate as Nicolas Cage, Bruce Willis, and like a, a variety, even John Cusack, where they're doing these like yeah straight to DVD action thrillers, and um, I think. Isn't John John Cusack has been in a lot of films with Nicolas Cage? Free. Like, he's been I in free, he's been in three films. But that's but yeah, it yeah. still that's constitutes enough. as a lot in, in uh, movie terms, like. But uh, yeah, I, I often think about that. Like, is John Cage? Pers- sorry, John Cage. Is Nicolas Cage uh, persuading John Cusack to be in these films because they're friends, or is it the other way around? Like, I often like think about these relationships. in movies there's really interesting friendships especially with cage like one of his like closest friends seems to be crispin glover from back to the really yeah yeah yeah. there's like right you occasionally see like photos of those two like having sushi and it's like especially (laughs) if you see like um post back to the future work that crispin glover's done Mm. whether it's like his is it charlie's angels he's in it's like that kind of like yeah I, i can't really think of much when it's post Back to the Future, like pre Back to the Future, he was really, really great. And I think he's the best thing in Back to the Future. So they're both uh, in Best of Times, that kind of like a TV. Uh, the very first film, Nicolas Cage film? Yeah, Crispin Glover's oh, also yeah, in that. Okay, so I think right. they're like of a, sim- of a similar age. They like, um, yeah, and they've like hung out ever since, uh, kind of. But I just kind of think, like, what would their conversation, would they be giving like each other tips to be like i'm doing this film like uh like check this out and it's um it's interesting you bring up john cusack because there's uh, a wrong a long running joke on this podcast that uh in the early days i got i got blocked on twitter by john right. cusack <laughs> <laughs> did you ask him about con air no i um 
I just like I don't know, just a, a bit of promo for the for an episode I was doing. I was like, listen to this week's episode to find out how my guest got blocked by John Cusack, <laughs> and then and then all of a sudden, um, I had not just John Cusack replying. I, he'd like kind of quote tweeted my tweet and then like all of his fans kind of piled on and stuff like that. And I was like, I, 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 I found the timestamp. I like sent it out to all of them and went like, you can yeah. listen to the part of the conversation. We don't slag off John Cusack. Like my guest tells a story about how he got blocked on Twitter by John Cusack. Right. And we might say that he's, he's had a very similar career to Nick Cage, which like, I'm sure even John Cusack, if he looked long and hard in the mirror, would go, yeah, we have had, we have had a similar career. We both did kind of like blossom in the nineties, did all right in the two thousands. And then when 2010s came, we kind of went out into the woods almost. Yeah. That's kind of strange. (laughs) I I know he, uh, he doesn't like John Cusack, doesn't he will refuse to answer any questions asked about Con Air, which is a film where I would love to know everything about what happened on set and after filming times. Yeah. I'm so curious because it's an ensemble cast. Uh, and there's like, I wonder how they all interacted and what they got up to and stuff. There's like a very rare moment where he does get close to it. Like, and I think it's like one of the only people who could ask the question. Mark Maron asked him about, um, yeah, Danny Trejo, Dan, yeah, Danny Trejo so, yeah. saying, like, you're the scariest guy on that film, but then he just uses it as like a kind of platform to talk about, like, how he did, how he did, like, jujitsu or judo, or, yeah, yeah, jiu-jitsu, yeah. yeah he, he did yeah. martial arts for years, and it's like, no. It's because you have. I don't a, care, John. I don't care. You have a dark. I want to hear stories. Yeah, you have a fucking killer look in your eye. That's that's like that's what it is about you, John. That people are like, oh, there is something a bit <laughs> a, a bit off about this guy. Um, well, John, I'm gonna yeah. Let's. We've gone through your list. It's, it's been a fantastic list. And obviously, I don't want to keep you too long, but obviously we're on the cusp of a new year. Obviously, Cage has got a few things slated for next year. He does. Which, he certainly does. Which of those are you most looking forward to? I am most looking forward to the one called um, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Have you heard of this? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm typing that name into Google every day. Of course, I'm You're directing heard. it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on their continuity. <laughs> well, you know yourself. Uh, it's... The self, the the self parody one where he plays himself in it, and he's a cash. Well, I mean, I'm going by the IMDb write up. The, he's cash strapped Nicholas Cage, and he accepts that. Oh, I can't remember the rest of it. He accepts some secret sort of job from the CIA or something. Well, no, I think it's like he just does like an appearance for somebody's birthday at a, at a billionaire's party. Yeah, yeah and, that's and, right. and it all it all goes wrong basically, and he kind of has to. But the well, you wouldn't want it to go right, would you? <laughs> The cast in that as well, like, really makes me excited for it. So it's not just Nick Cage, like, it's... Uh, right, Pe- John Cusack as well, is it? Pedro Pascal, <laughs> like, from The Mandalorian, 
That's right. Uh, that's very respectable. I mean, you want them to be teamed up with people who are doing well. Sharon Horgan, so uh, some, some, yeah, somebody from the uh, the Irish Isles, right? Sharon Horgan. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, Tiffany Haddish as well. Neil Patrick Harris. So like, there's this kind of like, like I mean, he's great. So there's like a, a good like crop of like comedy talent. So you know it's gonna have yeah. it's gonna have some laughs. But then like yeah like. Pedro Pascal as well. It's like the he's hot shit right now, right? It's totally like the Mandalorian. You say he's in. That's right. I've seen that. Yeah, that's the series two. So I haven't watched that yet. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> thinking out loud. Thinking okay, yeah, just ignore me. I'm doing a James Joyce Ulysses <laughs> thing here. <laughs> um, uh, there's a couple other things uh, like there's an untitled Amazon project. Have you heard of that one? untitled amazon tv project yes which is very intriguing well he's playing what could that be well there there is there is some news on that that he is voicing an alcoholic dragon for some kind of like (laughs) sword and sandals style like show about yeah like some some fantasy like novel type thing where nick cage plays some weird alcoholic dragon and uh well that just sounds great and and like this will be coming out on new year's eve and it will it's just six days away from people seeing the history of swearing which nick cage presents a series all about like the etymology of swear words and i think like the words include fuck pussy like shit and bitch and it, oh my god! This is an actual show that he's presenting. Oh, this is it's a, it's man, a, this is blowing my mind. I, I I can't take this. It's a net. It's a Netflix <laughs> show. Uh, a trailer. Right. A trailer was released on um, yeah, uh, December twenty second. So like j- just last week, and it looks fucking amazing. Oh, and it's like it, it it seems like the perfect lockdown project and. Like the the trailer begins for those of you at home who haven't um, seen it. It begins with a nice deep cut for like uh, Cage fans because it is him replicating that like momentous like fuck he delivers in Deadfall. You know he does kind of like he just like yeah, sh- yeah. shouts in the strip club. He just <laughs> in, the, like, oh, in the strip club, fuck yeah, yeah, like, really prolonged. He. He just does that at the beginning of the trailer, and it's like, <laughs> oh, it's like that is funny in itself. But it's like if you're a Cage fan and you've seen Deadfall, it's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, I can't flip and wait. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing, John. Well, thank you so much for your time and coming to talk about your top five Nick Cage films and, and your drawings. Oh, thank you very. You forgot to ask me what's my worst Nicholas Cage film. Well, let's let's sneak that in at the end. Sorry, man. What okay. what is got, what is the worst Nick Cage film you have ever seen? I was I was going through the list <laughs> on the IMDb, and the, there was a lot of contenders, I have to say. But then the one came up, and it really hit me, which is the absolute worst by a mile. It's Left Behind. Oh. <laughs> The, the the thing is for for me with that one is it's just boring cage he doesn't he doesn't really like deliver anything it's quite like he's quite one note he for me i think because it's about religion 
and I think what, mm. one of his brothers like is religious. The Christopher Coppola, the same guy who directed Deadfall. Yeah. And I think like it, it, it looks to me like he's almost scared about offending Christians by like it's like <laughs> if if he goes if he goes too over the top like it might be like a disrespectful performance so he just he just doesn't give anything yeah. it's like um, that's that's interesting it might as well be a cardboard cutout <laughs> very well could be I must watch it again and just make sure and and I I, I, I like no, no like. I know you're from Ireland, but no offense when I say this, but anyone who's looking forward to going to a U2 concert in like <laughs> post, like post the late eighties, like, do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I remember that was a little, because they're a religious band as well, obviously. But... <laughs> oh, that, that I remember watching that and just being really depressed afterwards. It was just that, that was kind of the part of the downfall. I know, part of the deadfall of Nicolas Cage's career for me is after seeing that it was just like ah oh, this guy what is he doing <laughs> hey well, what's what's your what's your worst Nicolas Cage film it's, it's, it's a close tie between that one and um, uh, Bangkok Dangerous I think like oh, what uh, I don't know that was kind of enjoyable they say. I don't know Bangkok Dangerous it just it's like it, it, it's just quite it, it just felt quite limp but i think i think it is probably like it's dead it, it's left behind just because it's boring like I, i've got a lot of time for like bad nick cage movies i've got a lot of time mm. for the good ones or the the freaky performances but i've got little to no time for just boring cage yeah i agree I agree. Well, where can people obviously find your Etsy store? What's the what's the URL? Or where can they find you on social Ooh. media, uh, John? Let's go. Well, I let's mean, go social media. It's probably a lot easier, right? Sure. I mean, I'm on the old Instagram at uh, what is it? John J Rooney Illustration. But that's about the only thing I use anymore, to be honest with you. Perfect. Well, I will be um, sure to drop uh links in the show notes and stuff like that so people can like see see your amazing illustrations stuff like that and well, thank you keep up to date with w- what you're doing and obviously if there's another actor who gets the john rooney treatment yeah there's another one in the works but it might be a while before i, I get him or her um out there. amazing amazing i gotta watch all the movies first. <laughs> well we'll keep that as a nice little tease again thank you so much for coming to rage with cage with me well thank you very much I really enjoyed it that was John Rooney talking to me about his top 5 Nick Cage films and his top 5 Nick Cages to draw Uh, you might be a bit lost about some of those ones that we're talking about but just look at the artwork for this episode and you'll be able to see John's amazing poster depicting most of Cage's on-screen performances. Uh, as he admitted, since that poster was created, it needs updating, but uh, it's, it's fantastic. And I'll be posting it all on social media. So that's at Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And do be sure to check out John's amazing Etsy page, and as he said on uh, Instagram, which is J Rooney Illustration, and his other like actor kind of P 
pieces he's done, whether it's the Bill Murray one, Tom Hanks, Scorny Weaver and Arnold Schwarzenegger, are all fantastic. So with the year drawing to a close, thank God that 2020 has gone in the bin. Uh, we look forward to 2021. Uh, I very much hope that you all have a fantastic new year. Happy new year to you all. But if you want to get in touch and let me know what Nick Cage projects are you looking forward to in 2021 or in the distant future, we God knows when stuff's going to come out anymore. Get, get in touch, as I said, get in touch on the socials or you can drop me an email, cagedinpod at gmail.com. Again, guys, a very happy new year to you all. As always, I've been Petrus Patsilavus. I've been caged in. Bye-bye. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, A Drip Town Limery, Maine, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.